Hello, and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. What are the key challenges facing infosecurity teams in the coming year? The pandemic and its aftermath is certainly one of those, but there are others including state-backed cyber activity and insider threats. These trends have been developing for a few years, but in some cases, the pandemic has accelerated them. In others, it's diverted away resources and put pressure on security budgets. These are some of the findings from Forrester's annual cybersecurity threat report. We asked Enza Ianopolo, one of the report's authors, to explain the findings. We have identified, I would say, uh, five uh, uh, top cybersecurity threats to watch in 2021 or to prepare for in 2021. Um, there are some that are very much related to the pandemic and, and COVID. There are some that um, I would say are elements of continuity for security professional challenge related, for example, um, to insider threats. Uh, those uh, have been there for a long time. They are not necessarily COVID specific, but certainly the pandemic, the changes that we went through as organizations uh, during the past year have definitely made some of these um, threats more more dangerous or more urgent uh, for companies to address. Uh, Those that I would define uh, very specific to the pandemic includes the um, expectation that we are going to see more state-sponsored espionage and disinformation uh, uh, related to to COVID, specifically to vaccines. Vaccine. In 2020, we have seen a state-sponsored attack uh, that aim at creating disinformation about treatments or about uh, the effectiveness of the vaccine. Uh, what we expect to see in the next 12 months will be real attacks to companies that are involved into the manufacturing, distribution, storage, administration of COVID-19 um, vaccine. So uh, definitely something that uh, um, we have already the experience uh, to a certain extent. Uh, If I remember well, IBM um, uncovered uh, an espionage campaign in December uh, against the vaccine distribution chain. We do expect to see more of those attacks um, in 2021. Uh, The other one, the other uh, top cyber threats that we have identified really uh, closely related to COVID has to do with the uh, potential attacks to COVID apps. Um, The past year, uh, we know that about 30% of European companies, for example, um, have been um, relying on a track and trace application for COVID. Uh, We have also, with recent research, really looked into the potential for organizations to adopt COVID passports. Um, and COVID registries. Now, a lot of these uh, lives in our smartphones. Those are applications. We have noticed that there are the opportunity, as it happens with track and trace, for employers to actually um, use those kinds of applications as part of their um, pandemic response or uh, return to work strategies. 
as they are called, um, and to, uh, the same can go for the vaccine passports. Now, uh, when you are installing an app as an employee, when you are installing one of these apps on your phone, uh, you might creating at that moment a vulnerability, uh, especially if you having that same smartphone application that you use for work. If there are not the right policies in place, if there is not the right technologies in place, of course, that uh, the, the COVID app might become a vector into other environments also related uh, to your work environments. Um, and then there is a threat for employers that are actually actively engaging with these applications themselves and the technology themselves to really understand whether uh, someone had COVID uh, while in the workplace. We experienced a lot of those examples um, in the past. So they might be looking at the um, vaccine passports. Again, the way they are connecting to these uh, uh, databases, the way they are keeping their information, the policies around all uh, this data, very sensitive data in most of the cases. Often organizations are relying on existing HR policies whenever they are collecting now these very sensitive data from their employees being uh, referred to vaccine or being referred to potential um, COVID exposure. Um, very often we have found that organization didn't put in place the right policies and the right protection for uh, this very sensitive data they're collecting and for the volume of data they're collecting. In some other occasion, we saw that actually the third party relationship that they established didn't necessarily uh, follow the stringent uh, diligence that we would expect to see. So there are a number of different ways in which actually these uh, the COVID apps can become really uh, a big um, a threat to organization and definitely we are expecting to see some of these happening in 2021. Other of the cyber threats that we have identified have to do with the um, with the digital, the explosion of the digital activities uh, of the past year, especially. So we expect to see a lot in terms of identity fraud, identity scam, and account takeover, all related to the fact that organizations have been providing customers with digital channels to engage, uh, to, uh, from shopping to the provision of services across industries. Um, and definitely, we have seen that uh, already. Uh, we have monitored increases of the um, uh, identity fraud activity in 2020, and we expect to see more of that um, in 2021. So another um, chunk of the um, of the threats that we see is related to that uh, identity fraud and um, account takeover activities. And you're expecting potentially to see more bots as well. Yes, uh, more bots used as a, a vector for web application, and this is a way. For me to really think about the uh, the manifestation, another big manifestation of the uh, digital transformation, um, attacking the website of organizations through bots um, is definitely uh, a way to attack that, that uh, the manifestation of the digital transformation for many organizations, but also bots are uh, you know, used for a number of activities um, behind a website to actually make sure that the website is working properly. And so that is definitely another vector, uh, another cyber threat that we expect to see increasing uh, uh, in 2021. I also want to add that the attacks to web application, um, again, last year accounted for about 40% of the um, external attacks uh, to organizations. We expect that number uh, to increase. And if you think that when we uh, look at the um, uh, breach uh, landscape, so last year, about 31% of attacks came from external 
um, attacks, and then uh, forty percent of those was uh, on the uh, web application. Um, and so I think with bots now, the number of web application attacks will definitely increase um, in the in the last uh, in the next twenty uh, sorry in the next twelve months. So bringing the overall landscape of breaches very much pushing that very much into that external attack vectors um, and then into that specific web application um, vector. That's a trend that's been going on for some time, though. That's not specifically new to, to the pandemic, is it? This is one of those, as I said, that even uh, you know, over last year, definitely, I guess we were looking at about 40%. We do expect that to uh, grow, but uh, you're right, is, uh, um, is a trend. But one of the elements that I keep um, highlighting um, uh, when I am looking at the security market is definitely this balance between some very specific new or newer threats that relate to um, the pandemic and the change over the last 12 months. Um, and then there is a lot of continuity too. If you think about you know, insider threats, that's definitely one that we have seen a lot. Companies experiencing issue with identity and access management really, or the lack thereof, of good identity and access management processes and technologies in place. That is something that comes up um, over and over again, um, despite of the pandemic. And, and the other element of continuity uh, for me is also the need. And we have seen this as a big priority for organization around the protection, the security of public cloud environments. Again, one might be what might be thinking that this is very much related to the pandemic because we have been relying on cloud uh, services for the digital transformation on steroids, uh, as some people like to say, to describe what happened in the last 12 months. So they need really to engage customers through digital channels much more than we did in the past. And then remote work. Uh, that they need to provide employees with, you know, collaboration platform, communication platform. They need to support all these remote um, devices um, as definitely uh, increase the use of, of public cloud that organizations, uh, their organization rely on. Uh, but this also brings uh, then the, the, the priority of we need security for the cloud. We need to make sure that uh, not only the technology, the right technology, the right controls are in place, but also the right processes, the right policies, the right governance is in place. I have a number of examples of companies that are refining their um, hybrid strategies uh, for public cloud. These are activities that are not new. These are activities that we have seen uh, as trends for some time. The security of cloud workloads is definitely one of the top priorities for security professional is, is has been for a long time. Just the COVID and the pandemic has made this um, much more urgent than it was in the past. But there is a lot of continuity when you look at security priorities and also uh, specifically uh, to uh, cyber threats as we are discussing here. Do you find that security professionals are now creating a strategy specifically to deal with perhaps the legacy of the pandemic? <laughs> Uh, definitely, yes. Um, I think there was a change in the approach. So um, I remember a year ago talking with some of the security professionals. They um, wanted to uh, quickly fix some of the major issues and vulnerabilities that the rapid change in the way we work, in the way we serve customers as uh, created. And it was all about, you know, make sure that we can operate working from home um, and that there is not major um, issue with that. What we see today is really uh, trying to set the right building block for a, a long-term strategy. 
virtually every organization I talk to um, is putting together flexible work policies today. Um, I think that most organizations know that even after this pandemic is um, behind us, there is a clear expectation for on their workforce to actually be able to work uh, from home or to introduce flexibility to uh, to a certain extent. And so I think there is data uh, that was published some time ago that actually said that as a minimum, we are expecting a 300% increase of work from home post-pandemic compared to pre-pandemic. And I think that actually that is a number that we'll see uh, uh, you know, becoming even higher than that. Uh, so all the protection that you need to put in place um, has to be long-term. Cloud, as I mentioned, is definitely the security of public cloud is definitely a priority for the long-term, but also insider threat programs. Um, I remember a year ago, many uh, chief information security officers being very worried because clearly when everybody is working from home, you cannot have the same visibility um, into the way they work. Some of those uh, behavioral elements are completely different. I remember uh, chief information security officer saying that just the, 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 a few days before everyone was sent, was sent to work from home, uh, their insider threats, actually the monitoring of that, of the insider activity spiked because there were many behavior that are normally on a corporate behavior uh, would, would have been alerts, would have been behaviors that you wouldn't expect to see, but because everyone was getting ready to go and work from home and they were trying very quickly to grab the information they needed and making sure that they would have the right uh, files and the right documents uh, while they were working from home, sent that insider threats alerts, uh, uh, the, 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 that reporting of insider threats were, were just was crazy. And he said, I have to change completely the way, have, um, uh, the way uh, we as a team are looking at those alerts and what we even identified as an alert. Because now, you know, the behavior is completely different and my insider program is not designed for that. They also reported that when they try to ask for changes to that, to the way insider, um, to the way the alerts actually were, um, uh, were monitored, uh, they had some issues with the privacy organization in that in that specific company because privacy the privacy officer said well why you want to change things like these and they had to go through a number of approvals and they need to go uh, uh, into an exercise which very much was about um, uh, create changing the processes and changing the policies which uh, from again assurance perspective needed time um, and so I think that what at, what at that at that moment a year ago uh, was just trying to put things in place quickly. Today, actually, we had the time to go through the processes to make the changes that we needed to make. And so organizations are definitely better prepared today to tackle some of those long-term changes that the pandemic has created uh, in the way we work and in the way we serve our customers. There are very specific processes that have been uh, put in place uh, to cope with this long-term security challenge of the pandemic for identity and access management. And the fact that identity and access management remain one of those weaknesses, I think, um, has definitely pushed organization to look into these even more and to prioritize maybe other, other approaches 
Um, for cloud, uh, I believe that one of the examples that uh, we have seen often is really organization trying to govern internally who is going to have access to certain data and under which conditions. So there is a specific way now of segmenting data to go to a team that maybe is located in France rather than uh, someone that is located outside of France or outside of Europe. So there are a number of organizational changes that have been going through um, in organizations organizations, but I wouldn't say, or I didn't have any example really of changes, significant changes within security organizations to respond uh, to the challenges. I, I think also we need to remember that continuity element that I was discussing. While there is more urgency for certain um, aspects of security programs, while there is a different set of priorities possibly, possibly still there is a lot of continuity into those priorities, into those, uh, even the threats themselves. We were discussing about the um, uh, web application um, attacks, again, that has been there for some time. So I think that because of the continuity still, uh, we didn't see a lot of changes in two security teams as such. Are we going to see a change again, though, a further change as organisations start to bring people back into the workforce? And we've seen surveys saying some organisations will allow everybody to work from home if they want. Other organisations are saying, well, maybe you'll work from home, but only some of the week. Does having some people at home all the time, some people at home none of the time, and perhaps the majority of people partly at home and partly in the office, actually create a new set of risks? Absolutely, yes. Flexible work policy being spend some time at home, some time to the office, uh, or the premises, whatever they might be, uh, or even decisions, okay, we send everybody to work from home. Uh, creates a number of risks, uh, not just from the uh, security standpoint, but there is a number of, well, first of all, logistical challenges. I have seen a number of applications now being created that allow employers to say, okay, I will be in the office this day and I expect to have a desk. So the design of the office is completely different where you don't walk in and you expect to have actually your desk, but you will be on a plan with sharing desks. Actually, you have to book your place in advance. So what about the risks on those specific apps that now will be used to manage workforce um, on premises when, when they decide to come in? But there are also specific risks related to regulation, for example. So in Europe, um, you know, France in 2017 uh, introduced the right to disconnect for employees. And now we are seeing a number of other countries trying to uh, think about which kind of regulation they are going to create to make sure that even if people are working from home, there are still boundaries uh, that they have to, um, uh, that they can protect their time, uh, you know, family time, sort of allow them to have that uh, balance. From a compliance regulatory standpoint, there is a lot there as well as managing still the risk of the pandemic in terms of uh, managing vaccine and who has been vaccinated and making sure that you don't create any privacy or ethical pitfalls or even operational issues, actually, uh, when you are leveraging the sort of information to determine who can come in, who cannot come in, and how people are going to be managed on a, on a daily basis. Um, a lot of risk related to business travel. Um, still, there are data, actually, that um, I have looked at actually suggests that employees are not looking forward to go back uh, 
to business travel. So one thing that I would say is for every organization that is planning, uh, you know, that is making a plan about when we can go back and travel for business to make sure that they have a sense of what employees are comfortable uh, to do, what they are expecting, what they feel safe to do uh, in the very first place. And then even there, there is a myriad of different uh, rules. Certain airlines will require that actually you have a vaccine passport with you in order to travel. Certain countries might be requiring that you actually show proof of vaccination. And there are some countries that would even ask whether you had that specific vaccine and they would allow people just with one specific vaccine uh, to travel. I think uh, China published something on those lines a week or so ago. So there is a number of challenges that are not just specific to security, but from a risk and compliance perspective, there are a myriad of challenges to organizations or they plan to uh, bring uh, employees back and also how uh, in the way they are going to set up their specific, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, flexible policies uh, to make sure that they can bring back employees and that they are still safe. That's where technologies such as zero trust come in, isn't it? Because it pushes some of that into the background and it becomes less intrusive and provides less friction to the business process, if it's done properly anyway. So the end user might not necessarily know of the security constraints because they're running in the background. Yes, and this reminded me actually of another uh, group conversation we had with a group of clients that actually said, uh, you know, we want uh, security for that, that conversation one on the specific public cloud, but they brought back that term of transparent um, security, transparent data protection. It was exactly the point. They want to make sure that they are protecting uh, the cloud environments, they are protecting the network, they are protecting their endpoints. But at the same time, they are avoiding friction uh, for users, uh, for their employees that are actually using uh, the different uh, platforms, the different systems that they have. So uh, also for security professionals, the idea that really they don't want to create the friction, that really they still want to contribute and deliver a good employee experience, uh, it's very much uh, um, a top of mind. So that absolutely uh, has been a priority um, for security professionals is something that they think about as they choose their strategies for securing the environments and, and definitely um, a zero trust can deliver on that. And what about the budgets and the investment case for security? Because, you know, we have seen over the past year uh, some research showing that actually spending on security is coming down rather than going up. But at the same time, that investment is absolutely critical if we're to allow people to continue to to collaborate. Budgets uh, is a discussion that, uh, again, we uh, um, we have very often. We have data suggesting uh, that I believe the uh, security budgets for 2020 were about 34, 35% of IT budgets, of total IT budgets. Uh, this is not true across um, industry, though. I, if I remember well, financial services, public sector tend to, tend to have a lower budget than that. Again, this is as part of the total IT budget. So um, I would say some have definitely experienced our uh, a reduction of their security budget compared to the past. Uh, I guess it is clear that in the past we have seen a lot of spending on security. There was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
definitely a lot of investment made in the space. I wouldn't say that this is dramatically changing, though. I think that still we are looking at budgets that are of a, of a decent size. Certainly, there are the, uh, a lot of challenges, and, and I can see uh, many organizations finding themselves um, underfunded compared to what they want to be or they, what they need to do. Uh, but there is, I think, an underlying um, elements there that I like to highlight, which is related to uh, metrics and to business alignment. And I'll tell you what I link these to the justifying uh, spending and the budget. When we talk to security professional, one of the things that they struggle with, and we see that uh, when we do research interview, we see that in our data, we see that when our, uh, you know, uh, the people we talk to actually uh, do those maturity assessment around their cybersecurity uh, team, the cybersecurity posture, um, yeah, and their cybersecurity programs. One of the things that typically emerge is that there is a challenge in aligning uh, security objectives to business goals. So there is this kind of two different aspects of the business wants to go all the way into digital transformation. And then what we defined as security objective, maybe are not aligning to that. This is just an example, but those are the kind of uh, gaps that a security professional told us that they have to deal with. They really struggle to uh, align these two elements, security objectives on one, line, on one side, and then the business goals, a business strategy on the other side. And I think the very often is simply an issue of defining the right metrics. I still see a lot of teams that actually are very focused on some more specific operational tactical metrics. Uh, if they have to describe the value of what they do or the results of what they do, there is uh, many cases uh, organizations struggle to translate those operational metrics and more tactical metrics into really strategic uh, metrics that then can link back into their overall business strategy. Now, if as a chief information security officer, you struggle with that piece, you struggle to make sure that your executive actually see in which very specific way you are supporting the strategy for digital transformation or for bringing new products to market, to, to, for bringing new services to markets or expanding another geography, all those very strategic Initiative for the business have very clear impact on security. And in most of the, of, of the cases, we actually see security as, as we are discussing today, really changing their priorities, changing their investment to support the strategies. Sometimes too often, they, a security professional, fail in actually making this clear connection. And I think that if we could improve the metrics, if we could improve the way a security professional, we are going to demonstrate how strategically we are enabling the business to do what they have to do, uh, that would always easy conversation about investment, that would always easy conversation about budgets. And it, would, it cannot be only about defensive strategies. It cannot be only about, well, we need to protect ourselves from attacks, which of course it is a priority, but there is also the part of security that is about enabling that innovation, that collaboration. Um, and so I think that is as important uh, for security professionals to have those conversations about the value that they bring uh, uh, to uh, their own organizations and the way in which they can really help businesses with their strategic uh, objectives. So um, I, I do think that there is a lot that we can do in terms of improving the, those metrics that can have a very positive impact on conversation about investments and budgets. And do you think those conversations will become more important now we move out of this reactive crisis response mode into more of a, a forward planning type environment? Yes, absolutely. And I do 
see for security, but I see do uh, I see these across uh, risk disciplines in general, with privacy being definitely one of them. A very similar, um, a very similar conversation uh, with privacy professionals that now are preparing for the long term handling of of uh, not only the pandemic but the new flexible uh, work environment, the new um, employees um, habits. Uh, you know, we we did. Uh, we mentioned in the example of how you can change your insider threat program to actually now uh, deal with remote, remote working and then uh, later on with more flexible policies. And we saw actually privacy almost being a kind of, um, you know, element that was going against those quick changes because, of course, privacy professionals wanted to make sure that they could uh, uh, have a clear sense of what policies were changing, which kind of monitors were going to be in place, not just for security, because, of course, employees are not in the office anymore all the time and still companies want to have a sense about how are they actually working, how productive they are, how is the performance looking like. And I have seen a number of companies that are starting to think about Ah, so let's take a, a picture of someone randomly and, and see if they are actually working from their laptop or, you know, there are a lot of things that companies are trying to put together in order to understand how employees are working in a flexible environment. And some of these, they could have a, a clear detrimental effect on employees' productivity, employee trust, employee experience in general. Because if uh, I'm working from home and I have an employer that say, oh, I need to take a random picture of you to make sure that you're in front of your laptop, that is clear, not only generating privacy issues, but generating issues overall into that employer-employee relationship. And so um, if privacy is there to actually uh, help uh, employees understand uh, which kind of data they need to provide and help employer also understand what is that kind of ethical and trust relationship has to actually happen, uh, these are very productive conversations. This is very much about enabling that workforce, but also helping the business still to achieve success in the right way. Really, if you are undermining um, privacy and ethics, you are not going to help employees working from home. You are not going to help your business. And so I think this is a, an example of how so security or privacy can really become strategic in the long term to the business that they now implement these new flex policies. Enza Ianopolo from Forrester on the need to rediscover a strategic focus for security and privacy as we move into what we hope are more normal times. That though is all for this episode of Security Insights. Our next programme will be a special report on red teams. Why are they an increasingly important part of a security professional's armoury? And what exactly do they do? That episode goes live on April the 20th, and I do hope that you can join us then. In the meantime, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and of course, on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>